Hello and welcome back to Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy, the podcast where we discuss all things hysterectomy related. My name is Milani Favut and I'm the author of Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy. In this episode, we talk about anesthesia and also pain relief. But let me first just remind you that this podcast is intended for information purposes only and must never replace medical intervention. If you are worried or something doesn't feel right, of course, immediately contact your medical provider. So all hysterectomies, of course, require some form of anesthesia, and it is something that often concerns women. I certainly know it concerned me a lot. So I decided to invite Dr. Caroline Gardner, a specialized anesthetist, to talk us through many of the fears and questions we might have. Welcome, Caroline. Hi, Milani. Thank you for having me. So let's just start at the very basics. What is anesthesia and what is your role? So... Anesthesia is it's a state of hypnosis that allows surgeons to operate without you feeling or knowing what's going on. So we normally sort of subdivide anesthesia into three different, three different subtypes. And we say you have to be hypnotized or asleep. You have to be pain-free and you have to not move. So the surgeon has an operating field that is stable and it's not, the patient's not jumping all over the table. So that is how we define anesthesia. And as your anesthetist, we will discuss preoperatively exactly the kind of anesthesia we're going to be doing for your operation. And then it's your job, obviously, to monitor the patient um, on the table and wake, most importantly, wake us up again, right? There are three phases of any kind of anesthesia. And the first stage is meeting the patient. And this is chatting to the patient, finding out their medical history, have they had previous anesthesia, and anything that the patient is particularly concerned about for their upcoming operation. So if a patient has had a previous anesthesia and they've had side effects, they'll chat to us about that as well. And at the same time, we can also chat to the patient and say, are you very anxious about the surgery? Would you like a pre-medication? We've got different kinds and we can give you a tablet that you'll drink before the operation that will just sort of take the edge off and make you a little bit more calm for the trip down to theater. So that's stage one. And then stage two is the actual part in theater where you are receiving an anesthesia, you are asleep and the surgeon is operating. And a lot of patients think, oh, well, then if I'm asleep, the anesthetist just goes out and has a coffee. So that's actually our most important part is making sure that you stay stable during operation. So it's not just about making sure that you're asleep and you don't wake up during the operation. It's making sure that you have good pain relief during the operation. And it's making sure that all your vitals stay stable during the operation. So for instance, if it's a difficult operation and there's a lot of blood loss, we need to make sure that your blood loss is being monitored. And if you become unstable, we think to ourselves, do I need to order a blood transfusion? What can I do to make this patient, to optimize this patient for this operation? So that's actually our most important part is making sure that the patient is stable while the operation is going on. And then the third part of anesthesia is the post-operative part. And that's making sure that you wake up and that you are comfortable and that you are pain-free and you're not vomiting. And also it's making sure that your recovery in the ward is as comfortable and as pleasant as possible. I want to come back to quite a few of those those issues that you raised. But let's just talk a little bit about the type of 
anesthesia that you can get. Obviously, we know there are different forms of hysterectomies. They can be vaginal, laparoscopic, open, etc. Yes. Am I correct to understand that you therefore, or assume, I'm assuming, that you can then have different routes of anesthesia as well? So could you, for example, have a spinal block in some instances, or does it always have to be general anesthetic? I always say that an operation is teamwork. So you've got to have the surgeon's perspective and the anesthetist's perspective, and then you have to ask the patient what they would be the most comfortable with as well. For hysterectomies, because we're working in the abdomen, we need to make sure that you are relaxed during the procedure, that you're not tensing up your tummy muscles, because that'll make the surgery more difficult. So that's why we normally do what we call a general anesthesia. And we give you a drug that's called a muscle relaxant that stops your muscles tensing. So it makes the operating field for the surgeon easier to work in. However, if you have reasons that you you don't want a general anesthetic, we could technically do the operation under what we call a spinal block, particularly if we're doing a vaginal hysterectomy, where we're not working, we're not opening up the abdomen, so it's not as important to have those muscles relaxed, but we're working through the vagina itself. So we can and we have done vaginal hysterectomies under a spinal block, but most women don't want to be awake for the procedure. So what we can do is we do a spinal block and then we can add a little bit of sedation to the procedure as well so that you're not completely anesthetized, but you are kind of very mellow and kind of drifting in and out of sleep just so that you're not completely awake because you have to remember with a vaginal hysterectomy, it's not a very comfortable position you're lying in. It's not lying flat. You're lying with your legs in stirrups as if you were delivering a baby. And a lot of women, they're not comfortable in that position. They feel a little bit exposed. So they would rather either have a general anesthetic or they would like a spinal anesthesia with some sedation. So they're not aware of what's going on. So let's talk a little bit of the specifics around the operation itself. There's always this big deal about not eating beforehand. Please explain why is that such a big deal? Such an important question. And I think a lot of people think it's not really relevant. They think, oh, if I just have a smoothie, I'll be fine. So what happens with a general anesthesia is your body goes into a state of relaxation. And like we said, all your muscles relax. So if you think about the anatomy of where food passes in your body, you chew it in your mouth and you swallow it, and then it goes into your esophagus, which is your feeding tube that connects your mouth to your stomach. So food passes from the esophagus into the stomach, and at the junction between the esophagus and the stomach, there's a little sphincter or a little muscular circle. So once food has gone into the stomach, that sphincter closes and it stops food going back up your esophagus again and you vomiting it out. What happens during an anesthesia, like we said, your muscles relax. So that that little muscular circle between your stomach and your esophagus, it relaxes. So if you had food in your stomach and that muscle relaxes, it'll allow food to pass back from your stomach up into your esophagus and you can vomit it out or you can even breathe it back in again. So to make that risk as low as possible, we say no eating of solids for six hours because after six hours, the food will have passed through your stomach and it's not, it's not very important then if that muscle relaxes. And we say two hours for clear fluids. So a clear fluid is water or apple juice. We normally say if you can put a newspaper behind the glass and you can see the letters through the fluid, that's a clear fluid. So that takes about two hours to pass. That's why we say food, six hours, liquids, two hours to make sure that your stomach is completely empty so that even if that little muscle sphincter relaxes, there's no food that'll slip back up your esophagus and you'll vomit during the procedure. So you talked about the fact that you will see the anesthetist beforehand. So usually the morning or just an hour or two before the operation. Yes. 
what is important to tell him or her at that point? So your anesthetist will guide the questions for you. So don't panic if you think you're going to forget something to tell the anesthetist. What I always say to patients, if I see them sort of two or three weeks before an operation, if they've got pressing concerns that they want to discuss with the anesthetist, write it down before you come to hospital. Because by the time you get to hospital, you're so stressed out and you're having this big operation. The last thing you're thinking of is, what must I remember to tell my anesthetist? So I like to, if you make a little list, if there's stuff you would like to tell the anesthetist, but your anesthetist is going to guide questions as to what we need to know to what's relevant. So we need to know, firstly, what operation are you coming for? Just so that we're all on the same page. I don't have you down for a hysterectomy and you've got yourself down for a leg amputation. So we are all on the same page. Then we need to know if you've had any previous anesthesia and that you've had any bad reactions to an anesthetic. And we'll talk a little bit later about different reactions that people can have to an anesthetic. We're going to need to know if you have any medical conditions and if you're on any chronic medications, just so that we know what to be aware of. And if there are any drugs that you take chronically that could potentially interact with our anesthetic drugs, always make sure and double and triple check that you have followed the fasting guidelines and that it's been six hours since you've eaten and two hours since you've had clear fluids. And those are kind of the most important things anesthetists will discuss with you. Some women would say, is it okay to take a Xanax the evening beforehand? And that kind of thing, is that okay? And as long as you tell them what you've taken the next day? I wouldn't go and take a Xanax if you've never taken one before. But if you've taken Mm -hmm. a Xanax before and you know it relaxes, you absolutely take it the night before. Otherwise, you're not going to sleep. You're going to be up half the night panicking. And then just mention to your anesthetist when you see them, say to them, look, I took a Stilnox or a Xanax or an Alzheimer the night before. It's absolutely fine. So let's talk a little bit about the reactions that can happen. I mean, the first thing is, I think for most people, waking up, especially from a general anesthetic, is a very unpleasant experience where you can feel very nauseous, you can be shaking. Um, I certainly, after my hysterectomy, was shaking like crazy. Um, Why does that happen? This is going to sound terrible when I say it, but there are a couple of things in anesthesia that we we don't understand 100%, but we know how to treat them. So that's great. So Shivering after an anesthetic is unfortunately quite common. It's to do with your body's temperature regulation while you're under anesthesia. You wake up from an anesthetic and your body kind of doesn't know how to regulate its own temperature. Is it cold from still being in theater or are you warming up? So kind of like as a defense mechanism, your body shivers. You're not actually cold, but you shiver and it's not pleasant, but we can fix it. So if somebody shivers after an anesthesia, we give them a very small dose of a drug called pethidine and everyone will always be terrified when they will hear the word pethidine and think I'm turning you into a drug addict. But a very small dose of pethidine in your drip can settle those shivers completely. And it it works within seconds and you feel 100% better. And if it recurs, we can repeat that dose because it's such a small dose. We can repeat that dose until you're comfortable and not shivering anymore. Because it's very common, particularly in women. So we like to get it settled before we send you off to the ward. And the nauseousness? Post-op nausea and vomiting. It's a title on its own. It's a whole chapter in most anesthetic textbooks because it's such a big deal. Um, And unfortunately, the things that make you more likely to have post-op nausea and vomiting are if you are a female, if you are under the age of 50, if you are European or white, if you are a non-smoker, and if you are having a laparoscopic procedure. That pretty much is all women who are coming for gynae procedures. It's a risk that we know about and we do everything we can to preempt you getting nauseous. 
So when we do a general anesthetic, we have two ways of keeping you asleep during the procedure. One is gas that you breathe in and out. And the second way is what we call an intravenous anesthetic, where we give you no gas, we give you medication via your drip. And it has been established that the gas that we give makes women very, very nauseous. So for all my female patients, I never give them any gas just to take that risk factor off the table and make sure that I'm making their risk for post-op nausea and vomiting less. What I also do is I give double strength all my anti-nausea drugs. So we give, I'm sure most women will have heard of Zofran or Dansetron. A lot of women use it during their pregnancy for morning sickness. It's an amazing anti-nausea drug. And what we normally do is we give you a dose as the anesthetic is starting and then just before we wake you up. So we kind of cover all the bases. And then we also give a steroid drug called dexamethasone and this also helps with post-op nausea and vomiting. So we try and take all our modifiable risk factors and take them off the table. Like we can't change the fact that if you're under 50, I don't want you to start smoking by any means. And if you're a white woman, um, we can't change those, those risk factors. So the things like the type of anesthetic and the drugs we give to make you as least nauseous as possible. So that's what we do with post-op nausea and vomiting because it's debilitating, particularly if you've had abdominal surgery, because when you vomit, your, your tummy muscles tense, so it'll make you more sore. So what we tend to do is give you double doses of all our anti-nausea medication before you even wake up and then we will keep repeating those doses while you're in the ward just to make your risk for post-op nausea and vomiting as little as possible. Some people also feel itchy after after general anesthetic. Is that an allergic reaction or why does that happen? It, I don't want to go as far as to say it's an allergic reaction because then people are going to say they don't want to have that drug. But when we talk about, so our, one of our main sort of analgesic drugs is morphine. Everyone will heard of morphine. And the sort of newer version of morphine, what we use nowadays is oxynorm. And morphine can cause what we call a histamine release. And that is what you see in an allergic reaction. So it's the same as if you're allergic to pollen or dust and you get exposed to that and your nose starts itching and you start scratching yourself everywhere and your, your nose is all stuffy. The same thing can happen with morphine. It's not enough of an allergic reaction to say, let's not give you morphine because the benefits of morphine outweigh that. But what we can do is give you an antihistamine that will settle those annoying itchy side effects, but still let us use a drug like morphine to make you comfortable and pain-free. Just before we get to the actual pain relief, because that's a whole subject on itself, the actual anesthetic side of things, how long do those chemicals still stay in your system? You know, some people say that they still feel exhausted months after. Is that a result of the anesthetic or is that usually from something else related to the surgery? We normally say it's generally due to the surgery that anesthetic drugs we use, what particularly the ones we use for cases like this, work in quickly and they work out really quickly. So your body metabolizes them continuously. So even after we stopped giving you the drug, your body is metabolizing all those drugs and they will generally be out of your system, the ones that we use for the actual anesthesia within 24 hours. A lot of people saying that they are tired after an operation, people tend to forget that they've had major surgery and your body is still in a recovery phase for a long time afterwards. And we generally say it's it's that effect of your body recuperating after major surgery that's making you tired rather than the actual effects of the anesthesia. Let's talk a little bit about pain relief because I didn't know until, in fact, my hysterectomy that it's in fact the anesthetist that prescribes yes. the pain relief in hospital and not your surgeon or your gynecologist. Never knew that. So firstly in hospital, 
how do we manage pain in particularly i mean all of the surgeries would involve some level of pain afterwards but of course yes. abdominal would be the worst how do you manage it you will find that all anesthetists have kind of little recipes that they like but we all use the same broad brush strokes when it comes to giving pain relief after abdominal surgery so what we like to do is we like to use combinations of drugs so that the side effects of the drugs are less, but the drugs work really well together. So a lot of the drugs we give, if say a drug is one drug is, gives you two points and another drug gives you two points, when you add them together, they don't give you four points, they give you six points. They work what we call synergistically. So they work, to, they kind of ramp each other up. So we use a combination of medications and the drugs I'm going to name, I always sort of feel a bit embarrassed by them because people think they must be rubbish because we always start with intravenous panado or paracetamol. And everyone says, my gosh, paracetamol, how pathetic is that? But given correctly, is such an underutilized drug. So the dose is one gram and you can give it as two panado tablets or you can give it intravenously, which is often easier if the patients not really feel like eating. So we normally start with paracetamol, which we give every six hourly. And then we'll always give an anti-inflammatory and you think, oh, an anti-inflammatory, that's brufen, that's a bit rubbish. Brufen's a great drug, but we use something that's a little bit more potent in hospital. Each hospital will have its different preferences, but we always use an intravenous anti-inflammatory. And then from there, we normally go to what we call our opioids, which are things like morphine, oxynorm, and those kind of things. Every anesthetist will have a combination that they like to use. I think, Milani, you said you had a PCA, which is what we call patient-controlled anesthesia. It's a little pump that's got a pre-mixed solution of morphine in it, and you can control it. And you press the button whenever you feel you need it. It depends what practice is in the hospital. A lot of surgeons really like them. A lot of people don't like them because if you have pain during the night, you've got to remember to wake up and press the button. But everyone will get some form of morphine, whether it is in what we call a PCA, a pain pump, or as a tablet form, or as an injection form. But everyone will get some type of morphine. And so a lot of people think, they hear the word morphine and they think, oh, it's a terrible drug and I'm going to get addicted to it. Anethetists are nice people, but we're not that nice. We're not going to give you so much morphine that you're going to get addicted to it. We want to keep you comfortable, but not completely zonked out. So the problem with morphine is if you take it when you don't have pain, you're going to be high as a kite. But if you take it when you're in pain, those euphoric feelings are less and it mainly works as a good analgesic. Everyone is going to get a little bit of morphine and then like I said, each anesthetist kind of has their own recipe. And what we've also started doing, a slightly newer technique of anesthesia, especially when we are doing abdominal hysterectomies, is we put local anesthetic into the muscles of the abdomen. It sounds a bit weird, but what we do is, is we try and target those sensory nerve fibers that come to your tummy, where the actual incision or the wound would be. We try and deaden those nerves with local anesthetics, sort of like when you go to the dentist and you need a filling and they inject your gum with local anesthetic and you can't feel the side of your face for the rest of the day. We like to do that on your tummy. So just to make that experience even better. So we try and make, we try and take that, that sort of risk factor for pain away by injecting local anesthetic around those nerves. And we do that while you're under anesthetic, you're not going to feel it, but you'll wake up much more comfortably. My philosophy with pain is I like to preempt pain. I don't want you to ever be in very bad pain because once you're in pain, it's quite difficult to break that cycle. So my philosophy, particularly for the first day or two after major surgery, is if it says take the painkillers every six hours, at five hours and 55 minutes, I want you to take the next dose so that we never allow your body to become in pain. Because once you get into a cycle of pain, 
it's very difficult to break that cycle. So a lot of women say to me, oh, I don't like taking medication and I'm really not a drug person. I completely understand that and I respect that. But remember, you are having major surgery and you are going to need analgesia. Let's not make this a terrible experience. Let's make this comfortable and pleasant. So I always say for the first 48 hours, take the medication regularly. I want you to be as comfortable as possible. Because it's, of course, also important so that you can move, that you can, can become mobile as quickly we, as possible. Exactly. Right? We need to get you up and out of the bed just for all the risk factors that are associated with staying in bed. We don't want you to get a deep vein thrombosis or a clot or something like that. So you're going to have a physio who's coming to visit you most days and saying, all right, Milani, let's get you out of bed and walk to the end of the passage. And if you're in pain, you physically can't do that. Analgesia has a big role, not just in taking your pain away, but in your general well-being as a, as a patient in a hospital. And is that what people talk about when they talk about the pain cascade? Is that what they talk where it just starts running away with you and it's very hard to get it under control again? Absolutely. And the problem with pain is it's exhausting and it's very anxiety provoking. And you feel like no one's listening to you and you can't explain how bad your pain is. So that's why I always say, if the nurses are offering you analgesia and you think you don't need it, take it anyway. I'm not saying this like six months down the line and you're still mainlining heroin, but for the days that you're in hospital after your surgery, take the painkillers as prescribed. We're not going to give you too much. We're going to give you enough to keep you comfortable. And of course, if you're still in a lot of pain, you should speak out. Tell the ward sister and she will phone either the surgeon or the anesthetist. And if we're still in the hospital, we can pop up and have a look and say, how can we fix this? Or they can phone us. We're on our cell phones 24-7. They can give us a ring and say, look, Mrs. Favut has had everything you've prescribed, but she's still in a lot of pain. What can we add? And then we'll say, okay, great. Let's try this. Let's give her a dose of this and then phone me again in half an hour if she's not much better. And nine out of 10 times, just by adding another medication, you feel so much better that the sisters don't even need to ring me again because it's sorted out your problem. You are more relaxed, you're pain-free, and you like you can face the world again. And everyone responds to medication very differently. So how medication works is affected by a lot of things. It's affected by your size. It's affected by the metabolism of drugs in your body. So a lot of people metabolize drugs very quickly. And it's not an indication that they're alcoholics in their spare time. It's just your body's different way of how it breaks down medication. And some people work through it really quickly. So instead of giving it every six hours, we need to give it every four hours to keep on top of your pain. Whereas other people are what we call slow metabolizers and they do for the next dose at six and they're like, I absolutely fine. I don't need any more medication. And so instead of giving every six hours, we can move it to every eight hours. So it's a very much like I always say, having a surgery is teamwork. And as the patient, you must always volunteer information. Say if you don't feel great, say I'm in pain or I'm nauseous or I'm really anxious or I can't sleep because these are things that are so easily fixable that you don't need to suffer in silence. And I think women are particularly bad at Absolutely. that. You know? They think they can just push through and you don't need to. So then women have to go home. And a lot of women on Facebook sites and so on complain about the fact that in hospital, the pain is well controlled, but then they send home and things just completely fall apart with pain. Um, you always usually give the prescriptions for going home, right? It very much depends if it's 
So not for a hysterectomy per se. If it's a patient who's coming in for a day case, then it's generally the anesthetist who writes the prescription for them to go home. If they're going to be in the ward for a couple of days, it's either the surgeon who is looking after you as a patient or it can be the anesthetist. So with the surgeons I work with, which is very nice, is they will chat to me and they'll say to me, what would you recommend for this patient to go home with? So we can work together. And I generally give the sounds a bit silly, but I always say give too much rather than too little. Because I think people are reassured if they know they're going home with medication that will work. If they're going home with one box of tablets, they think I'm never going to cope with this. But if they're going home with two or three different kinds of medication, they think the bases are covered. I don't have to drink all of these, but if I need to, I've got the backup and I can be pain-free at home. And if you go home and you are not coping with what you get, you need to get in touch with your surgeon and say, look, I'm not coping. Please, can you add something to my prescription? Like I said before, don't sit and suffer in silence. You want your recovery to be a pleasant experience, not one that's filled with pain, because then it's not recovery. It's just horribleness. Caroline, thank you so much. This was absolutely fascinating to me. And thank you for your time and all this information. My thanks also to Nicola Bruns for producing this podcast. And of course, most of all, thank you to you for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, you can always email me. I'd love to hear from you. The address is hysterectomypodcast at gmail.com. I'm Melanie Favurt. Until next time, stay strong and stay brave.